1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition. Over 125 years ago, the Columbian Exposition was staged in Chicago on Lake Michigan's shoreline. Visitors from around the country and world were first introduced to many industrial technologies and commercial offerings that would shape 20th century culture. This book explores a collection of event photographs and juxtaposes them against a set of modern images to catalog the living remnants in art and architecture around the city as a legacy to the 1893 World's Fair. 1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition, now available from Amazon. Audiobook version available soon. Hello, my name is Michael Finney. Today I am joined by Kirk Kaiser, who is a developer and artist extraordinaire. Would you please introduce yourself today, Kirk? Yeah, so I've been doing kind of weird space of art and programming for a while, um, my current day job mostly focuses around software development and keeping your cloud applications running. Um, and I've kind of worked on a bunch of odd things in different universes, everything from healthcare software to music video generation apps to a homepage for GE. So definitely all over the place. Fantastic. Sounds like you're quite a generalist. We like those kind of folks. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your personal background, uh, how you got involved in the things that you're interested in, uh, and why you're doing it? Yeah, so things that I'm interested in. There's there's quite a few of those at this point. Fair. And uh, yeah, so um, I think the, the very first thing that I sort of got interested in, in general, was maybe either gardening or skateboarding. And I think either of those two basically came around the same time. Um, and both of those are sort of things I still do now. I definitely do more skateboarding than I do uh, gardening. And I think that those all hit at like, you know, the perfect teenager years. So yeah, I just got into those things as a teenager and sort of just um, stuck through with them. Um, I kept going, never stopped doing those things that excited me as a teenager. Why don't you tell me about how you got involved with Python or what uh, was the catalyst for you to begin to explore the Python programming language? Yeah, so um, I got really lucky uh, a few times in my childhood when it came to programming and computer science. Uh, I think I was like 12 years old when we got our first computer. It was uh, Pentium 75, and I want to say it had um, maybe... 500 megabytes of disk space. And uh, so, you know, I kind of got to be a kid who was allowed to play completely free with the computer at a very early age. And then I sort of had really good uh, adults around me to kind of steer me in the right direction. So I had a great programming teacher when I was in eighth grade that led one thing to another. And I got, for a while as a teenager, I got really into security in general and hacking in general. And I think those sort of ideas of breaking software and doing things you weren't supposed to do was really um, seductive to me as a younger person. Uh, the, the very first thing that kind of got me excited about computers in general was um, a, a shareware disk that came out from id Software. And so this, this was right around when the original Quake launched. And there was this CD-ROM that you could get in a magazine and it came with demos of like, I want to say 
10 or 15 video games from id software and turned out that there was a, a serial number generator and you could crack and get every single one of the video games on that cd and uh as a teenager <laughs> kind <laughs> of the allure of having free video games um got me really excited about the possibilities of what you could do with software and it made me want to control and manipulate that world and to understand more about it. Um, so really kind of a bit of a nefarious kind of doing bad things <laughs> uh, was sort of the intro to me and what got me excited. That being said, now I'm doing very different stuff from that. And that was kind of my, my entry point in gateway drugs, you know, working <laughs> with computers in general. For sure. Will you tell us a little bit about some of your early projects that you've created as you explored the cross-section of technology and art? So I mentioned before that I kind of got, got started in um, security and programming led me, you know, that was the way that I got into programming. Um, I kind of got burnt out by, you know, around the age 18 and was just basically over computers and decided from a philosophical standpoint that computers were terrible civilization was terrible and we needed to get rid of all of it. Yeah. So that kind of led me to get away from, from computers for a while and get back into gardening. So I did a bit of traveling and uh, something called roofing, which is uh, where you volunteer to work on a farm in exchange for room and board. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a couple of years and then I realized I needed some way of making money and I didn't really want to have a real job. I wanted to continue skateboarding. So that led me to start getting into programming because at the time, it was a very lucrative way to not have to do actual work. <laughs> <laughs> or at least and a so, nine to five. Yeah, exactly. And so my original thought um, in my early 20s was that I really enjoyed skateboarding and I really wanted to focus my life on that photography and writing and seemed like having a minimum wage job wasn't going to cut it. Like I wasn't going to have enough time to do all the things that I wanted to. Um, and so my approach was going to be, I would do a higher paying thing and I would work less hours and I would sort of freelance my way to uh, the bare minimum effort. <laughs> if that makes sense as a philosophy and an approach, I don't wow. know that I, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that really makes sense as an approach for an adult. Um, but in my early 20s, that was kind of my, my logic, unfiltered. And so I, that's, that's kind of what I did. I, I started um, a travel website that got pretty popular. I, I started writing, and uh, some of my writing did pretty well. Yeah, I kind of picked up freelance projects here and there and sort of used what I learned before and kind of kept going to jump from one freelance project to the next, trying to do, you know, something like 10 hours of work. So I've had a chance to take a look at your portfolio and have been very impressed with what you have developed, not only in your professional life, but also maybe as an early hobbyist with technology and hacking and the exploration of what's possible. Will you give us a little bit of detail about some of those early projects you were working on and maybe the cross-section between technology and your personal interests? I think one of the, the bigger ones and probably one of the ones that started it all off for me going down kind of the intersection of creativity and programming 
um, was uh, a meditation app I built called Buddha Mind. And so the idea was um, computers are basically um, getting faster and smarter, and they're doing a lot of the work that humans have taken for granted that humans will. And the, the amount of information we humans have to deal with is doubling every year or so. Um, and so the question is, you know, kind of framed machines and growth of information and the speeding up of society versus us. Where do humans fit into that? Like, what is our new job? And um, I kind of spent a couple of months looking around at what humans' new job could be. And, you know, I started implementing like a, a personal search engine to be able to keep track of all the things you're doing. And, and I ended up thinking that, you know, kind of deep thought is sort of where humans have um, the biggest impact, kind of deep thought and synthesis of a bunch of different things. And so that led me to say, okay, well, one of the things we can start doing is making more space in order to do that sort of deep thought. And then I went looking for any sort of scientific hard evidence. You know, what, what helps with that sort of deep thought that humans are good at that we can't really replicate in machines? And so everything kind of led me back to meditation. And I really wanted a way to quantify and let people know if they were getting the benefits. Um, so I started kind of tracking biological changes that happen in humans when meditating properly. And there, there's, a, again, a bunch of papers. And the biggest immediate physio physiological changes uh, that I found that happen that are easily measurable are your heart rate variability. Um, and so your heart rate variability is sort of the, the changes in your heart rate over time. And if you're meditating properly, your heart rate variability goes up. So I, I built an app that you, you put on a Bluetooth um, LE heart rate monitor. And it will track your heart rate variability over time. And once it sees your heart rate vari variability spike up, it'll actually let you know that by feedback. It originally showed an image in the app. But a few months after building it, I uh, built an installation in Jacksonville where within a tiny little garden could um, control lights by meditating properly. And so... At that installation, I had uh, a few hundred people come and use the app. So that was kind of the gateway entrance into creativity and programming together. Yeah, definitely. That sounds great. So I think that's probably a good place to transition into your new book. I mentioned before how I kind of came into programming through a sort of nefarious way <laughs> and that, it, that that was kind of what was cool about it for me. I had been hanging out at a uh, biotechnology hackerspace in Brooklyn called Genspace. And so there was kids participating in this competition called iGEM. So it's the Net International Genetically Engineered Machine Competition. And these kids were awesome. But in talking to them, I realized that they kind of had the perspective that programmer kids were jerks and kind of jocks. <laughs> and that was 180 degrees, the, the complete opposite of what I'd experienced growing. And so I talked to a few more kids and it, it seemed like 
um, it had become the new, you know, new way to achieve. And it wasn't so much a form of personal expression or exploration. It was kind of the medium that kids nowadays achieve and do what their superiors tell them to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, you know, as a kid, that really would not resonate with me at all. It was kind of 180 degrees. I would Something I would be completely running away from. And so that kind of led me to want to make the sort of book that would interest me as a teenager and to kind of share the, the other side of programming and software development that you don't have to be an overachiever and get hundreds on your tests. You can make things that are just for fun. As I started building through and thinking through what pieces come together to teach somebody to program, um, I jumped back and forth between um, very tiny, basic uh, things that hopefully give you smaller wins, like you feel like you're progressing, and then building upon those fundamentals and you know taking basic building blocks, using them like Legos and building a bigger thing. And that's kind of what the book does. It, it takes you through the process of drawing a single pixel um, onto the screen, which is just the smallest possible dot on your screen, all the way to, to making a line. And then you build an entire drawing program by yourself. And then finally, to being able to write a program that will generate uh, tessellations. So any shape that will tessellate or tile. And it's all, you know, kind of, basic building block stuff. There's no giant leaps. You know? There's that, that cartoon where there's draw two circles and then make the face. You know, I don't, I, I'm definitely butchering that cartoon, but you know, the general idea where you start with a very basic thing and then there's this quantum leap and then suddenly everything's flawless. Definitely. Having looked through the book now, it is very, very detail oriented and articulated in a way where nothing seems disconnected. There, there are no large leaps. Every skill that you work on in one chapter becomes the the bedrock for the next skills in the next chapter. I think that's a great way of approaching it. For sure. Thanks. Let's talk a little bit about writing. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about publishing. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the process you went through to uh, produce and release this book? For sure. Um, so right at the onset, I, I think one of the, the most important thing, if you decide you want to do something like write a, write a book is decide the scope and what your approach is going to be. Um, and so I decided right at the beginning that I was writing a book primarily for myself. It was just something I wanted to see in the world. And I also decided I cared a lot about not just what is written, but also how it's presented. Um, and so I wanted total creative control over it. And so those were the fundamentals for me. Now, the actual mechanics of writing the book were pretty straightforward. Um, there's one thing that I, that I kind of dealt with as a younger person. Whenever you want to do something creative or something that's not necessarily linear, like when I say linear, I mean, um, for example, this this is what I've experienced. Um, if you want to, if you want to hike some uh, a trail, right? Every day you get up and you hike a bit, and as long as you keep moving forward, eventually you're going to get to the end of the trail, right? So the formula for hiking a trail is get up, 
walk some miles in a day, and then repeat. Uh, if you want to do something creative, if you want to do something that's not a linear process, right? You know, I want to be a successful programmer. I want to be a successful writer, or I want to be a successful blogger. You have to, you can't just be that thing. You have to break it down into the same sort of process where there are those steps that you can take. And I think as a younger person, I was totally confused by what the hell the steps could be you wanted to do something you weren't sure of. And so um, getting back to writing the book, if you want to write a book, the way you write a book is you write every day. And so I had a, um, a threshold. I wanted to write a thousand words every day. And I also wanted to um, write some bit of code every day too. And so for 30 days, that's what I did to get my original rough draft. And in that original 30 days, I think none of it made it into the final book. <laughs> it's funny how that happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I very quickly realized that the way to write a technical book is to have an outline and to flesh out your outline and then to go from there. Um, that's not what I did at all. So I rewrote the book and the flow probably six or seven times. Um, and so with that, I would write some programs, rewrite them, follow that same flow. Um, so once I got a decent draft, I decided that I had standards for quality and I went and I started looking for an editor. I found myself a great editor. He actually edited a few books on my bookshelf named Stan Foster. Totally awesome guy. Um, and he'd actually focused on technical books too. and. He I'm kind of the person who would rather take direct feedback, even if it's rough. And Dan gave me some <laughs> substantial feedback, basically saying the entire first chapter needs to go. And, you know, looking at the final outcome, Dan was 100% right. And I'm so glad that, you know, he can tell me, yeah, first chapter needs to go. So with a, a written book, the obvious big work, is to promote and release. And so once I'd finished all that up, it was kind of switch over into promo mode. And that became the, the make art with Python site. So that has been enormously popular. And I've been really proud and excited to be able to do all the work that I, that I have on there. Which is how we actually connected initially. Uh, it is a great site for anybody looking to explore the Python language and also trying to create art, uh, make art with python.com. You know, it cannot be simpler than that. And obviously the, the book is a fantastic tool in terms of just getting acclimated to the Python language and the environment and kind of the ideas that, that just the, the basic mental protocol of interfacing with a computer programming language, I think. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is next or what you intend to do to further promote the book now that it is available to the public on Amazon, I believe that is? It's on Amazon, and it's also available through the site, um, whatever, whatever you prefer. <laughs> the, uh, the, the website, you get uh, some videos that go along with it. On Amazon, you get a very nice printed <laughs> copy. Mm -hmm. I, I personally am kind of the, the hard copy sort of person. But, you know, either way. Right. And um, 
As for what's next, I'm continuing to work on projects. I have a few in the pipeline that are making their way there. The one I'm most excited about right now is um, DAB and T-Pose controlled lights. So I'm writing some software to be able to control lights within your house by either dabbing in front of a camera. I, I don't know. <laughs> do you know what a, a dab is? I, I do, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So either dabbing or T-posing in front of a camera control the lights in your house. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit excited about um, the potential with computer vision to be able to do both choreography and sharing of movement. I think that, you know, I'm not too familiar with any languages or how movement or dance in general is communicated uh, in written form. But with things like OpenPose, which is a, um, a library you can use to determine where a person's elbow, hand, knee, foot, hips are, um, it allows us a way to put dance into code and kind of control machines through dance. I'm excited about that possibility because it's kind of a, a recent thing. Yeah, that sounds very, very cool. I, I love where your head's at in terms of um, motion and triggering. You know, and dance is really, it, it is a very unique art form that is somewhere between music and architecture, you know? We've run for about 25 minutes. I feel like we've touched on everything. Is there anything that you want to say at all, you know? Do you feel like you've hit on primarily everything that's important to you? Oh, God. That's very, <laughs> very loaded question. Back to the wall, man. Back to the yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Kirk, I want to thank you for joining us today. We do appreciate your time. It sounds fantastic. Everything that you're working on in terms of your development skills and releasing a book to help people get acclimated to the world of programming in Python to make art. Uh, we do appreciate everything that you've done in terms of sending a copy to have a look at and just uh, offering feedback as, as we were exploring projects ourselves. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. If you would like to look into Kirk's book, go to makeartwithpython.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Mm-hmm.